Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy podcast, Bar Chats. This is Tristan Stevenson, your host. Today, I am joined by Passan Widjasena and Fabrice Limon. Passan is the owner of Earl's Juke Joint and Jacoby's Tiki Bar in Sydney, Australia. Fabrice is the co-founder of The Drinks Drop, a cocktail delivery service that was created in response to lockdown here in the UK. On this episode, we discuss the various ways in which bars and brands have adapted to new spaces and behaviours over the past year. We discuss cocktail delivery programmes, how they can be actioned, what the challenges and pitfalls are, and how they can benefit bars and bartenders. We also spend some time thinking about the longevity of these services, whether consumer behaviour has shifted permanently, and what reopening has looked like for Passan in Australia. Really hope you enjoy the episode as I did. Catch you later. Fabrice, Passan, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for the welcome. Hello, Tristan. And this, we're doing a morning recording, which is unusual for this podcast, given the sort of uh, you know bar culture that we live in. Um, it's it's nine o'clock in the UK at the time of recording. And we're on British summertime as well now, which means it's sort of eight o'clock. Um, but then bars aren't open, so I guess we don't have an excuse to be tired at this time in the morning, right? This is true. This is true. Yeah, but you're right. That's pretty summertime. Made that dog walk a little bit trickier this morning, but uh, you know. <laughs> um, so, guys, I want to uh, just pass straight over to both of you to give a sort of brief introduction about your backgrounds and your sort of relevance to this topic that we're discussing today, which is all around sort of customer behaviour um in these sort of new spaces that we're building in and around the bar industry as a result of the the ongoing pandemic so um Pasan, can, I, can i pass over to you first to give us a little spiel about yourself sure um so my name is Pasan Wujasino. i in uh, sydney australia i've got two little bars uh in the inner west of sydney uh, earl's juke joint and jacoby's tiki bar uh both those bars had shut down pretty much exactly a year ago now when the pandemic kind of forced health um, orders to close down hospitality venues. Um, so we're basically a year later and we're almost back to normal on this side of things. Um, and there's a lot of lot to tell in between a year ago and now, actually. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. All uh, right, we'll get to that in a second. Fabrice, um, what's your chat? So, yeah, um, my, we, we said we're coming... Uh, Called called the drink shop, which is a cocktail delivery service. Now that, that was born out of um, uh, a distribution company that we own, um, and obviously during um, during the, the lockdown, the first lockdown back in March 2020, we saw ninety percent of that business disappear with the supply and the entrees, and we saw our you know the, the, the devastating effect it was having it within hospitality. So myself and my business partner Barry Wilson, we wanted to find a way of keeping highball relevant i guess in some regard and trying to find have some kind of positive impact in the fact that um we knew we could do something by using out of work bartenders to create cocktails deliver cocktails and, and, and give them some kind of purpose to get out of bed in, in the week because you know it's, it's been it's been a challenging year for, for hospitality the most um you know the most social job in the world to suddenly you know i think the most sociable things people are doing now is podcast with you but uh, you know this is as good as it gets. This is as close as we get, you know. This is as good as it gets, yeah. <laughs> What's been your kind of take on how consumers have 
adapted? Because we were talking a lot about how the bar industry is adapting to sort of meet consumer demand. But what's how has the consumer demand itself changed in the face of this? Because, you know, people used to go out a lot and they used to drink a lot. And we always kind of thought, I think, that it was sort of this whole experience that embodied this, you know, the nightlife thing and the music and the atmosphere of the bar and the drinks that you get and the service and the hospitality. So how do you think they're they have adapted in light of the pandemic and you know what they expect now from a bar or from a brand to to you know to keep them happy at home um yeah i mean firstly i don't think the, the want to for all of those points you've, you've you've mentioned there you know the socializing the music the atmosphere the the, the social interaction as, as human beings we, we i think we, we crave that we'll continue to crave that so i don't think that's gone anywhere in particular I think we've adapted quite quite well in some regard. They've adapted in regard to how we socialise and what we do do online, how we're consuming food and drink. There's been a lot of a lot of businesses taking advantage of, of people at home and 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 the quality of, of what we can now get at home has has been really exciting from a bar perspective. Obviously, personally, a bit more insight of how it's working from there. But from from a brand from a brand perspective. You know, we well, we found ways of how we can how we can communicate direct to people at home, which is is through is through bar quality cocktails, and, and brands are really excited about how how we can do that by you know platforms and, and talks and videos and, and and you know drinks delivered to their house, etc. So that's 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 one way that people are are changing, brands are changing, um, yeah. Do you see people kind of trying to recreate the whole bar setting in their home? Is it a case of like, you know, they get the cocktails delivered, be it directly from the bar or from you guys, drinks drop or, or whatever. And, you know, they're sort of trying to create a night out at home. Maybe one, one if it's a couple, then like one half kind of pretends to be a cocktail waiter and delivers the drink into the lounge. Or, I mean, or, or, you know, how are they actually being consumed at home? Is it just like, you know, instead of a glass of wine at dinner or are they kind of trying to make a... Th- an event out of it i think i think you've got a bit of both there i mean look what we're finding what we're finding and i don't think this is just specific to to the drinks job what we're finding is um people are buying rounds so on our platform you can when you go online you put in your your billing address and your shipping address and we can we can see that there could be one billing address for for six drinks, yet six different shipping addresses. So they are. So one person will be buying a cocktail for five of their friends for a Friday night, delivered to their house. So they all have the same drink. They can all have a toast on Zoom or FaceTime or, or, or whatever. You know these multiple platforms that, that people are using. So there is people are trying to get involved in that way. We've done things like you know adding Spotify playlists to that as well to give it a bit more of that kind of bar atmosphere. Um, I think there's people trying, trying to have that, trying to have that interaction in as best they can. So it really is an attempt to kind of take themselves out of the home rather than trying to bring a cocktail bar into their home. I think, uh, I mean, I can only speak about how the drinks drop works and why we set that up. And obviously, we the way the way the, the drinks drop platform is, we partnered with twenty of the best bars around the UK. To create the cocktail, well, to create the recipes, which we then recreate the recipes for them in our in our in our uh, with the bartenders that we use, and then send them out. So I guess our platform is people going onto the drinks drop 
they can see the drinks, they can see the bar that those drinks have come from. So I'm guessing it has a, so that I would imagine they're trying to recreate that environment a little bit more. I know there's other, there's other, um, um, kind of drink, drinking at home online where you kind of, you get the ingredients to make the drink. And so I'm guessing in that environment, yeah, probably maybe having a go at making the drinks themselves, probably with varying degrees of success, of success as, as it's always been at home. Yeah, it's never been a great success there, has it? I think people realise pretty quickly that it's more fun to have someone else make the drink for you. And it's not really fun to have a half bottle of vermouth sitting in your fridge for three months. Um, so the, the uptake of bottled cocktails ready to go, I think, was really uh, relished by people at home. Yeah, it's, it's it seems like I mean because people, people have done bottled cocktails before, but never really had a delivery model. At least I, I don't I've never seen one that kind of worked well or or that was national anyway. Um, or, or so it's interesting to see how popular the uptake has been. I mean, we've it's in my venues we've done bottled cocktails that we've kind of you know half ass marketed out to our customers before oh you can take this home but never really been that popular and of course the cocktail at home thing has been really you know tried over and over again for, for years i mean lots of brands have got on board with that here's how to make this you know and there's the youtube channels and everything but people are often kind of anxious or or um you know, they, they don't feel like they have the skill necessarily to do it. So the whole sort of bringing the bar into the home thing does seem like a a move that's sort of been primed and ready to go for a long time. It's just it needed, you know, a, a, an international situation like this for, for uh, bars to to kind of sort it out. Yeah. So, um, Pasan, can you tell us a bit about what how you've adapted the business model over the sort of last year then? Sure. I mean... Um... I guess like a year ago, the main thing was just the level of uncertainty. No one really knew what was going to happen, how long it was going to last for, you know, so forth. So I tried to just try to take focus on what we could control. So what we could control was our venue and selling drinks, how we were allowed to do. Um, I got involved pretty early on in some advocacy work. So created a, a state body to represent small venues, to lobby governments to try and get things like takeaway cocktails and reducing license conditions to kind of make navigating the next 12 months or however long it was, you know, more manageable. So pretty quickly on, we realized, okay, we'll have the ability to sell some takeaway cocktails. They'll remove any restrictions, remove any red tape. So, <clears throat> you know, we got on board with that pretty quick, buying some gear to make sure we could bottle stuff on mass, uh, canning machines, getting labels done properly, et cetera, et cetera, making stuff look good. Um, I think equally important was sharing the information with other venues. So I think prior to the last year, I don't think I've spoken to so many other bar owners as much. You know, it's been a really good open forum, sharing information with each other, helping each other out, um, tips and tricks, even stuff like this. Like, this never happened two years ago, you know? Like, um, so I think that was a really important thing to get involved with. Um, and then, yeah, like just, you know, trying to give the staff a sense of purpose coming into work to bottle stuff, um, you know, setting up a website to sell some online stuff. It's all stuff we did pretty quickly and on the fly and literally we're like fixing stuff as we were going, but it was kind of necessary. 
and it, and it worked. It kind of struck a chord with customers. They wanted to support their local venues, um, and it helped get us through a few months. It, it was a profitable venture? I wouldn't say profitable, but it got us through. It covered costs, um, and it got us through to the next stage. So I'm not sure where you guys are at over there with any sort of government assistance or whatever, but it got us to the point where the government assistance kicked in and we could cover wages and it got us to the point where there was a rental uh, relief scheme kind of worked out with landlords. Um, you know, all this kind of stuff that just took time to kind of set up. So, and also we, we just had stock sitting there collecting dust otherwise, you know, so let's, let's try and use it. So um, you, you're back open now? Yeah, so the actual lockdown over here lasted about two months and then they started to slowly ease restrictions. So at first you could open with 25% capacity and then a few months later it was 50% capacity and then they moved to a square metre kind of rule to try and figure out your maximum capacity. So now a year on we're at a position where people can stand up, they can walk around in a venue. What was your landlord like? Uh, we had a great time, actually, with our landlords. We reached out to them very early on in the piece and got pretty significant rental relief. And honestly, I think that made the biggest difference for us. Um, and I think that's... I'm tending to see around the world that's generally the pattern. Um, if landlords come to the party, then I think venues are being able to get through, you know, OK. It's when you have to pay your full rent. I've got a friend in New York whose restaurant's been shut the whole time and... Uh, with zero rental relief. So they're like, they probably have to close the restaurant down because um, it's just, they can't, you know, finance this thing for over a year without opening to customers. Yeah, I mean, anyone in the restaurant game or bar game who can afford to pay an entire year's worth of rent with no revenue or very little revenue, um, they're doing better than most, right? Because it's just not the way the margins work in this industry. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, from from a venue from 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 a venue perspective, bars, restaurants, certainly. I mean, clubs are still clubs have had a nightmare from it. They've not. Had, I mean, probably been hit the hardest. But, you know, as, as Bassan mentioned there, it's you know you've got the front facing, which is which is really challenging for for bar owners, restaurant owners. But that trickles all the way through the chain. You know, having having the landlords who are you know, a bit more forward thinking and seeing this is well, you know, we get through this together. I think is is the way it's going to work. It's, it's had to work. Yeah, I think it's cooperation, isn't it? And which is, I do in some ways, is what the drinks drop embodies, right? Because you're sort of connecting bars and brands together to and obviously it is a company in its own right you know a a direct consumer um, drinks company and sort of by bonding those three elements together it's supporting those three different sides of the industry um can you want to tell us a little bit more about the how it actually works with the with the the bars and the brands and the and the delivery and how, how the whole mechanic works yeah, yeah, sure. So I mean, so we, I think, I think that overused word pivot was was kind of what we did quite early it's on. Get, it gets used in every episode of this podcast at the moment. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Just get it in there. Um, so, so you know, Barry and I noticed that, that there was a, that we needed to try and do something for, for you know, as, as I mentioned with with our other business and how we and how we remain relevant there and see what we can do to feed back into the, into the business and. Being ex-owner operators, we had to find a way of we were th- we were thinking quite hard on what what can we do, not just for our business, but but what can we do for other for other bars. So initially, when we set it up back in, I mean, we had the idea in mid 
mid-March when first lockdown happened, and we had the the brand uh, the branding done, um, uh, e-commerce platform set up, and we went live on the sixth of April. So we managed to set up a whole new business in in about three weeks, which was, I mean, the fact that Barry was in New York at the time, so we were probably operating pretty much twenty four hours between the two of us. It, you know, initially when we when we set up, it was about bringing bringing bars in. Um, them giving us the recipe because we didn't want them to have the have to open their venues, bring in staff to create the drinks at an expense to them, because it would it wouldn't have been financially possible for them. And and as we mentioned about with landlords, there was sometimes like, well, if you're coming back into the building and you're doing something, then you're working, so therefore you can pay rent. And we're hearing all of these things. So um, so yeah, initially it was about signing these bars up, and when we first set up, we gave. As long as we just wanted to cover our costs, we just needed to cover our costs using using the stock that we had, and and we gave we we did we split all the profits equally amongst amongst the bars that were involved, and at the time that was you know ten in London, ten in Manchester, and we were using out of work bartenders to come in and and, and deliver the drinks locally um, in Manchester and London on a Thursday and Friday and Saturday, so that was the original that's the that was the original concept of of the drink shop. It was becoming more and more popular, and there was other brands, um, bigger global brands, who were looking at it and really kind of appreciated what we were trying to do and what we were trying to achieve. Um, so from that, we decided to, as, as you said, Tristan, we set it up as a standalone business, and from September that went live, but using um, bigger brands, bigger global brands. So we partner now with the Agio and, and there's a couple of smaller brands in there as well. But partnering with these bigger brands who understood what we were trying to do, which was giving back to the industry, it's allowed us to have a little bit more money to invest back to support the bars. So how it works is we we take a brand that will come to us. Um, we will partner them with a bar. Um, and for, for a six-month period, the, the brand will pay a, a, a partnership fee of which a, a a good percentage goes back to the bar as a as almost like a cocktail listing fee. So the bar will get an immediate listing fee to take part for providing us with three recipes, uh, three three drinks recipes with the partner bar, of which we may swap the recipes in and out over that six month period, depending on how successful the initial cocktail is. Um, and then on top of that, we will also give a percentage of every single cocktail sold goes directly back to the bar as well, of which we give them we give them the sales data every every two months and then they invoice us back and they give us, they give us, um, we, we, the invoices and we give them the money. So from, from a bar perspective, it's, we, we, we wanted to keep it as simple as, as possible for them. It does two things. It's, it allows them to stay relevant. It, like, it gives us something to talk about. Everybody wants something positive to talk about over the last 12 months. Um, you know, and um, and it gives them a little bit of a little bit of money back. Percent, as you said, as you said before, is the money that we're giving back to the bars replacing you having the doors open five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week? Absolutely not, no way. But it's giving them a, something. And as a small business, that's all we can do. And I think so far, since since we set it up as a as a as a standalone business, you know, with tens of thousands we've given back to our industry, which for me is the proudest part of what we've managed to achieve is, is being able to give back. And also I mentioned, so, so obviously from September as well, we went from doing the local delivery using local bartenders to deliver them on their bikes. Um, 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday to also incorporating next day national delivery. So now the drinks are available anywhere in the UK next day, which has also obviously increased um, increased revenue, more revenue, more more support back to the bars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's been it's been it's been really successful in um, in that regard. If I can just piggyback on what Fabrice was saying, um, you know, like partnering with companies like what he set up, we we did something similar over here with one of our drinks. Um, bottling stuff on your own in a bar is fine, but at one at some point it becomes kind of cost prohibitive. You know, you've got to buy the bottles, you've got to buy the stock, buy the labels, invest in you know paying your staff to deliver them or paying a company to deliver them. So then at the end of the day, you kind of like don't really make any money by doing it. You're just doing it to cover costs and maybe get some exposure. Um, when you do partner with someone that's set up a bit better than you are, um, it's financially better for you to do that as well. Um, you know, they can get the deals with the brands. They can invest in large-scale bottling or, you know, canning, whatever it is, um, set up deals with liquor chains, that kind of thing. So I think it's a really good thing to do. And I think collab is the other overused word from the last year, but I really like it. You know, it's been a really good way to, like, connect with the industry and uh, get your venue out there. Yeah, I mean, I, the, uh, if you... The the drink drop idea is just so good. I mean, if you're a bar or a bartender, there's literally nothing to lose from this and everything to gain. You're getting cash money. You're gonna even if you only sell one, at least you're getting some some royalty off that. Um, and you've got something to talk about on Instagram, or you know, it's it, it's getting your brand back in front of consumers and getting them talking about it and drinking it and enjoying it um and similar i mean really it's a similar story for the brands i suppose um that they're still sort of you know staying relevant they're also getting you know cocktails being mixed by top bartenders and you know that's something that brands are always after right a recipe that utilizes their ingredient that promotes it that showcases it all that sort of stuff so it's just win 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 and then and it's all all of the hassle of that whether you're a brand or a bar is sort of taken away from you you don't have to think about going into a venue and filling bottles all day long because you've got you know a separate entity that's handling all of that and that's what they do you know and nothing else so you know and 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 also of course you know, Fabrice, with you and your team and everything, it's in the UK, you know, you're well trusted. There's no question that this is going to be done correctly, right? You're going to hand the recipe over and, um, it, you know, it's not like it's going to be reimagined in some way that doesn't make it taste great. You, I know what you and Baz are like um, and Jody, and you're first to criticise a bad drink. So um, you you can rest assured that the drinks are going to be realised in their in their correct form. It's it's su- such a clever idea, um, and it just remove like I said, it removes the risk for everyone uh, out of out of it all. What is the sort of you know the the prognosis for how this is going to going to um, continue? I think that's that's the question that everyone wants the you know the answer to, and no one truly knows. I think, you know, and that's from our business side and from the brand partners side and, and everyone involved. Um, I think one thing we do know is that, um, you know, the at-home, the, the convenience sector, the at-home sector was in big growth before before lockdown. It, it, that, that was already happening. If you look at generally food and drink and the convenience was in huge growth from Uber Eats to Deliveroo to, you know, supermarket shopping to everything. And that you mentioned right earlier on, Tristan, that, 
drinks and pre-made cocktails just seemed to be lagging behind. For some reason, it just hadn't quite managed to take hold. Maybe that's because what was on offer wasn't quite right or, you know, people just hadn't quite understood how it could work at home and it needed something to kickstart that. I think now people are understanding how it does work for them and how it can fit into, you know, just having a couple of cocktails with your partner on a Friday night or, you know, doing something more sociable where you're sending out drinks for an invite to an event. It could be, you know, there's so many different ways people are realizing how these things can work. And the quality that's available out there has has definitely gone up. You know, drink shops one example of that in the UK. You know, prior to last year, you know, ready-to-drink cocktails are pretty much, you would look down your nose at that kind of stuff. You know, a lot of people were like, weren't having any, any bar of it. It was kind of seen as an inferior product or just a, a thing that was just available in nightclubs, say, you know. Um, the big change is that now the drinks in cans and bottles are actually quality drinks and people realise that and I think they're not afraid to buy them anymore. Um, speaking from my experience, like since we got back to opening the actual bars, our focus on bottling stuff has kind of dropped off in the actual venue, for say. But if we were to collaborate with somebody, that product will probably keep living on and that'll live on in bottle shops and in travel retail, in airlines, you know, at hotel minibars. Um, that's been the, the growth of the packaged cocktail, I think. And you'll see venues kind of live on as a separate, separate entity to their actual mm. bar, I think. My feeling is that a lot of venues that might have been doing bottled, canned, pouched cocktails um, during lo- the lockdown will probably, most of them probably stop doing it because it won't be worth the time for them to continue allocating resource to packaging and labeling and delivering and all that sort of thing but i feel like um brands like drinkstrop where you know it takes all the hassle out of that why would i mean you know what my bar um, features cocktails on drinkstrop why would i stop doing that you know this just doesn't make any sense if if someone still wants to drink my cocktails uh at home which of course, the vast majority of the country is the only way they can do it because they don't live near to the bar, then um, who am I to say, no, you can't do that? Um, so it feels to me like, I mean, I know there's been some real success like Hawksmoor in, in the Hawksmoor restaurant group in London. The figures I hear about their, their weekly deliveries for um, for can and bottle cocktails, are, it's ridiculous. And I've seen Liam Davy, who's been on the um, podcast before, when we talked about uh, digitization of menus and things like that, it's a good episode. You should listen back to it, by the way. It's, it's a cool one. Um, talked about robot bartenders as well. Um, when when he, he was on before, and he, he, of course, manages the beverage operations at, uh, at Hawksmoor, he, keep, he keeps putting pictures up on Instagram of their the alcohol delivery um, every week, and it's just boxes and boxes of spirits that then get mixed and put into into, into cocktails. Now, I, I again, I'm I'm not sure that it, it's um, really taken. It's not con- contributed a, a huge amount to what Hawksmoor's normal turnover is, because I'd imagine that's sizable. But um, nonetheless, I'd be surprised if they don't continue doing it because it's has such a roaring success. But I think for the most part. I don't. I, I, th- I think bars and restaurants are going to be too busy to continue doing it. So, have you stopped it altogether, Passan? No, we haven't stopped it altogether. But the focus is definitely much less. Um, we have it. St- we have some st- our stuff stocked in bottle shops and a couple of pubs that wanted to do cocktails, but didn't have the staff or, or ingredients to kind of do it on a regular basis. So, 
you know, those kind of orders tick through once a month and that's kind of enough for me to like have, you know, some guy on a, a couple of hours a day just bottling a bunch of cocktails for an order. But it, it's not much, not compared to like when we were in lockdown, we're not focusing on, you know, batching Negronis every day or whatever it is. Um, we'll get an order through on email, we'll fix it up, send it out. It's paid but next month, you know, so... I think that's where you'll see venues who've been successful keep doing it as if they have it stocked in retail. Um, I think doing it direct to customer by yourself is probably going to wane a little bit. So you kind of need someone like, you know, an online portal or a physical bottle shop that wants to stock your stuff. So how do you allocate the time? Is it a case of like one day a week someone's batching these things up or is it more like reactive to when orders are placed? It's reactive just if we can't, we don't have the luxury of hanging on to boxes of stock and all that kind of stuff, you know, so we have to basically wait for the order to come in, order the stock. Uh, the only thing we'd be able to hang on to is you know, extra bottles or extra cans or that kind of thing, but at some point we can't just keep ordering, you know, $10,000 worth of bottles to just hang on to in case there's an order that's going to come through. So, Have, have there been any um, companies like the Drinks Drop in Australia that have sort of sprouted up that are kind of taking taking it off your hands or if you if you wish to do so there's a company called curative you may have heard them i'm not I'm not sure but they basically partner with brands to make canned cocktails mm -hmm. um they can them in a sort of co2 zero oxygen kind of facility so it's zero spoilage so you can use like fresh juice etc um they also then occasionally partner with venues so they did one with black pearl they did one with us um they're doing another one with someone else soon you know so that is the more collaborative effect that i've seen here so far um and they have an online subscription model they're stocked in some big bottle shop chains so that kind of helps but there's definitely not a direct to consumer where you can order something and it's delivered to you that yeah. you can choose from you know say 20 bars from all around australia um that doesn't exist yet, like what you guys are doing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I wonder is that when? Well, you, would you consider uh, breaking into the Australian market for Bruce? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, we are. We are um, just yeah. The plan would be multiple markets. We think it's got the opportunity to do that, you know, and, and support bars wherever we can, and, and tapping into the you know the, the the best bars in each market. Why not? I mean, you know, we're lucky to have quite a good relationship internationally with with what we do through through scotch and limon as well um so yeah i mean why not um it's there's there's a lot of learnings we've had in the last 12 months uh we've you know we've figured a lot of things out from a production side from from cost efficiency from your logistics all of these things that we've had to work out uh, even down to you know to how, how the, the, the back end of the platform works from payments to all of it you know it's to get it set up and to do it well, I think, you know, we've, we're fortunate in the fact that we've had the resource to be able to, to do that. Um, and I can understand why for some of the, some of the bars and, and, and players that came into the UK market and had a go at it, did some of them are still around, a vast majority of them soon fell by the wayside because it, it is expensive and it's not as, it's not as straightforward as people actually first think it, think it is. Um, so now where we are now is we're pretty we're pretty happy with where we've got to it's it's we're constantly developing we're constantly changing we're constantly trying to make it better but we're almost at the stage where we've got that 
that playbook where we can go right new market. This is this is how we do it, and we wouldn't we didn't want to do that until we were we knew it had every chance of success with whatever partner we'd find in whatever whatever market. But yeah, absolutely, we'd love to see Drinkstrop as a as the, as the go to kind of global you know cocktail at home platform. Why not? Yeah, and then of course you could service a, a new market, but also you got the potential for international cocktails. So like I could drink a drink from. I don't know, Little Red Door in Paris or PDT in New York or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how yeah, shipping all that stuff it could be a logistical nightmare. But <laughs> it, it would be a nightmare. And to be honest, when, when we when we uh, first started, we were doing international uh, kind of partners. So for seems like such a, seems like ages ago now, back in Cinco de Mayo last year, we partnered with Limontor in, in in Mexico. Um, and we did uh, we did a cocktail with those guys. Same same situation where they provided the drinks, the recipes, and, and we just replicated it uh, here in the UK. So at the minute we can do we can do international international specials with international bars, but obviously we can only do that in the UK. The fun we're having with um, with international, certainly even even in Europe, with with the Brexit situation, is is being being challenging. Um, you know we have. Some of the some of the brand partners they're so, they're so excited to be part of Drinkstrop, which is amazing. You know they're sending out they're sending out to all of their employees. You know sometimes we're sending 200, 250 cocktails out to all of their staff for them to have a couple of cocktails each with their brand for them to be able to talk about. And some of that most of that's in the UK, but then we're sending it out to you know brand ambassadors who may be based in Amsterdam or in France or in Germany. Another thing I was just thinking about was there's this new sort of space that's created which is like social drinking in parks and on beaches and on hilltops and all that kind of thing and i'm i mean i'm interested about your thoughts on that guys about how do you think do you see consumers consumers considering more about how they can kind of take the fun of enjoying a drink outdoors and and how they might go about doing that i think that certainly happened when takeaway cocktails first started happening here people were going to the park and sitting around with their friends a meter and a half apart you know, drinking margaritas. Um, I think, I mean, Australia is different maybe because we've always enjoyed drinking outside anyway. Um, and we have a strong culture of, you know, beer gardens and sitting outside, um, as I'm sure parts of Europe do also. Um, but yeah, like, I think, um, I guess I've got two, two answers to this question because I'm looking at it from past tense, but also now that we're kind of looking at it sort of in our rearview mirror, people are embracing coming back into venues i think as well but certainly what you're saying is true like people loved you know sitting at the beach with a cooler full of packaged drinks or bottle of wine you know kind of discovering their city again um so passant i'm interested about the sort of reopening and and what the sort of current lay of the land is in the in the industry now and how the, how the mood is you've got restrictions still on was it two square meters per person that limit capacity in the venue right yeah, and only only this week were people allowed to start dancing again. So I mean that I'm, it was gradual. So every three months there was some sort of change, some sort of ease. Um, I think you still have required to wear masks on public transport. That's easing somewhat a little bit now as well. Um, right. So we're we're about eighty percent to eighty five percent of the way back. Mm. Um, nightclubs are still probably the ones that are hit the hardest. I think they're a while away from opening. Um, just because of the capacity restrictions. Um, if they can't dance, they're only operating with half four venues. Um, and usually that's pretty 
you know, tough to but tough to do. So, what sort of in terms of um, your normal capacity? Are you at around about eighty percent with those restrictions? Yeah, eighty eighty five percent. There's been some interesting sort of results out of that because what we found was that there were less people in the venue, but they're actually spending more money. Um, the experience of being in a bar was so special. Again, I think people were happy to stick around and not bar hop so much. They just find a venue, find a table, bunker down with their friends and order a few rounds of drinks. So the spend per head was actually going up. So, and as a result of having a less than full venue, the staff weren't under the pump as much, services quicker. Um, these were sort of unexpected advantages of what we're going to go through. Um, to the point where I don't think I'll ever go back to our full 100% capacity. It's been such a good experience running a venue at 85 to 90% of full capacity. That's, that's interesting because when, when, we, when we opened up briefly, when we had a little glimpse of normality last year around kind of August time, um, I was hearing from within within restaurants that would trade and, you know, again, their spend per head was going up because people... I don't know whether culture is going to change, whether people are going to go out less but spend more. Are people maybe, I don't know, I mean, this is just a thought. Are people going to go back to once a week or a couple of times a month and just see it as a real treat? You know, because these restaurants were seeing, the spend per head was up. People, instead of, because it was a, it felt like a treat going out for dinner. They were ordering something a bit nice off the menu. They weren't going for the house white. They were going for something a little bit further down, you know, because they wanted it to feel a bit more special. I don't know, do you think people are going to, are people going to go back to hell? I mean, people can't wait to get out, of, of, of course, but are we going to be out five nights a week? I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, it's... What I'm finding is that, I mean, because a lot of people are still, still working from home, and I think a lot of people continue to work from home at least part of the week. Um, so what's happening is the local bars and restaurants have, have picked up. So, you know, where we are is not a CBD area. It's kind of a suburban area um, with a main street. And the main street has really picked up midweek. So those Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights are better than they were pre-pandemic because people are staying local. I've heard, I've seen this phrase hyper-locality kind of thrown around where like everyone's hanging around locally and supporting local places. I think what's happening is the importance of precincts. So even in the city, a couple of blocks may get together and find all the venues in that section and create a precinct and uh, have an event around, you know, those venues, whether it's outdoors or indoors. Um, I know definitely here in Sydney, localised venues outside of the suburb, outside of the city, sorry, have done quite well, just because of the nature of working from home and having a bar that is just around the corner. I guess the, the mind of the consumer is like, well, it's safe to go out now, but I don't want to go too far, right? And also it's probably a good idea to support local and, you know, I don't have to get in a car or, or get a taxi. So, you know, I can walk to this place and, and support it. And, and there's also, I guess that, that, you know, there's been a certain element of community spirit, I suppose, that's, that's risen up during lockdowns and things. And so you might be seeing your neighbor or someone, you know, who you, you, who you knock around with in the local area as well in these places. So that makes sense to me. Honestly, I thought, you know, when when it first happened, okay, maybe it's a flash in the pan thing. People are just stir-crazy and been locked up and just want to get out, like you're saying, you know. 
but it's kind of lasted month after month and it was kind of staying consistent. So I was like, well, maybe this is a, a more, maybe this is a proper change. Maybe people actually change the way they consume stuff and going out. Um, the role of the bar, I think, as a community hub has never been more important. I think that's what's been emphasized in the last year. Is, I mean, do you think this is where, you know, the cocktails at home and, 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 and the industry, and the, the on-trade industry, the bars and restaurants start to see that part, it's, you know, where it does work in synergy and the fact that people are going out to venues less, but they're staying at home. So they can have, you know, those, those bar cocktails at home in the comfort of their own home rather than having to go out four nights a week, they're going out one night a week, but they're going to have cocktails on one or two nights a week. So then you're paying, Dreamstop, for example, you're paying seven fifty a cocktail, or which you'd be paying £12, £15 pounds in a venue. So are we going to, are we going to start seeing that? I mean, is, is that is that shift in, in consumer spending and consumer you know activity generally going to change? Yeah, I, I think so. And you see all that corporate stuff too, like, you know, Friday night drinks for their people who are working from home. Okay, let's send out a drink, a round of drinks to everyone. Uh, that's happening here for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it might adapt to just reflect the what is likely to be a new sort of work from home policy that we're going to see across a lot of companies. At least that's that's my take on it as well. Speaking to people who work in more sort of corporate environments, it sounds to me like a lot of businesses are going to be saying, right we're working from home one or two days, maybe even three days a week from now on, because they've, they've realized they don't need these huge office spaces in cities that cost a, a fortune. And that actually, they can be perfectly productive, um, you know, working in that manner. So it might well be that drinking habits just sort of reflect that, you know, how much we're how much we're going out to work, you know, if we're going out to work less, then we're going out to drink less, but perhaps, you know, drinking better. Um, and then when we're at home, we still, you know, perhaps want to enjoy a drink. And so that needs to be serviced by, you know, a, a cocktail delivery company. Yeah, and there's, I think there's as many people who are still cautious about going out. So, you know, one thing we found when we were doing our cocktail deliveries was there's actually a lot of people who wanted to come to the bar but couldn't for various reasons. You know, they, were, they had kids or they were disabled, uh, you know, whatever it was, they couldn't just go to the bar whenever they wanted to. So... They really took advantage of this delivery cocktail stuff. And that was the whole thing I'd never even thought about. You know, it was like, well, there's a whole market there that wants to drink our drinks that just can't normally. So I think that will still continue now that the systems are in place for people to do packaged cocktails, um, whether it's by yourself or with a company like what Fab's got. Um, you know, I think it's just opened the market up to that stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, what I, I do, I am interested to see, like, longer term, though, how how consumers sort of continue to use bars because bars if because of what's been lost in that kind of going out culture this sort of realization that connecting with people in these environments you know the bars are kind of these perfect places for um nurturing conversation and romance and and brotherhood sisterhood whatever it might be through you know lights and drinks and service and everything knowing knowing what we've we've sort of lost and and is missing from that from our lives now as a result of that and getting it back and i wonder you know how how long um consumers will sort of consider and treasure these things and and then how their behavior in bars may change in in the long term 
knowing now what it is like to actually lose these things. I think it's made it special again. You know, people realise how important it is to be able to go to a bar and have a well-made martini for you, you know, and, you know, meet the love of your life, whatever it is, that, you know, hear the, your favourite song, you know, just be in an environment that's not your house. If you're working and living it from home, you know, you just got to get out of the house. Um, and that's never been more important, I think. And people are realising that now. Um, so I, don't, I don't think bars are going anywhere anytime soon. It just... If anything, I think the role of a bar as a hospitality conduit slash hub for community is even more emphasised. Yeah, because I think a lot of the times, at least in the UK, bars and restaurants have just been kind of shoved into this like hospitality sector component of the you know the ongoing effects of the pandemic, and it's easy to just look at it as another industry, like I don't know, finance or retail or whatever. But that misses this really important point that it's a part of the social tapestry. You know, the whole reason these places exist and have existed for so long is to, you know, provide this this sort of space where humanity mixes and and, and, and all these different events take place. Um, you know, like you say, that you fall in love or... You know, you you strike, you you, know, you you sign off a business deal, or you know, you you celebrate the baptism of a baby, whatever it might be. All these little interactions, social interactions, is why we have bars in the first place. You know, as this sort of melting pot of humanity, written small into this small place. Um, and it's, I think, as people are coming to the realization of how important that is to our society to have a place to mix like that, and you can't do it anywhere else, you know. I mean, yeah, you can have a picnic on the beach, you know, you can, yeah, I guess you can, you know, go around to a friend's house for dinner, but there's nowhere else, it's quite like a bar that's sort of, you know, it, it's for the most part, you know, it doesn't, doesn't require you to be of a certain financial or social status, it, it doesn't require you to be of a specific gender or to know anyone you can go in there on your own or with a group of friends it allows access for anyone to come in and to enjoy it in their way and use it to for their purposes yeah i agree i think we'll probably enter another sort of golden age of hospitality without you know want of a better term but you know i think once people are able to go to places they really will take it with both hands i've noticed that here you know people just will go out of their way to tell you how great it is to be in the venue, you know, and it's uh, something you kind of take for granted, I think, before, but, like, you kind of really yeah. appreciate it now. So you're going into into a winter soon, basically, aren't you? Is there a concern that um, this is going to create, uh, you know, an uptick in, in uh, cases and that you, you might end up in another lockdown, or is that not really a worry? That's a little bit of concern, I suppose, but I guess we've got a pretty strict border entry policy so you know, you've got to fly 20 hours to get here and then quarantine for 14 days um so it's not everyone's going to be flying in and out of the country as often as before um pretty good contact tracing here pretty yeah so i mean there's a couple of cases that pop up every now and then that's from return travelers um but you know i think for the most part We've gone through, I think, two months now of no cases in Sydney. So I think there's a good feeling that it's going to be okay. What advice would you give to a bar, let's say, who's thinking about trying to do the cocktail at home thing, but also 
thinking about how they need to adapt their space to a new restrictions. If you can, if you can manage to do both, then great. But if you can have a resource like what Fabrice is offering to partner with somebody, to partner with a brand, um, to still offer that direct-to-customer product, then that's perfect. Storage and space as well for a lot of these things. You know, where are you putting it on? How's it? How, how are you keeping it all safe? Where's your fridge space? Where's where, where are you keeping your bottles? Where are you keeping your levels? Where where, where are you doing the, 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 the packaging? You know, a lot of the venues that are doing it now, I'm guessing with how it might be for you, Pasan, I'm not too sure, but we're using the venue to do all of those things. And all of a sudden, you don't have that space because... You've got customers in there who are, who are, you know, hopefully enjoy some tasty cocktails. Yeah, I expect the batching side of it's not really too much of a drag because you're already batching for, I, I assume, batching for normal service if you're serving the same cocktails as you're doing delivery. But, of course, it's the labelling and the bottling and the sealing and then the delivery side of it that's going to really start taking up time because it, that is time-consuming. All right, Fabrice, well, um, you, have you got any closing words? You want any, any messages about Drinks Drop that we haven't covered? I think we've, no, I think, I, think, I think we've covered everything we need. I mean, obviously, everything's up on, everything, all the information is up on the website, which is thedrinksdrop.com, or uh, fancy pictures and cocktails and stuff we get on Instagram, which is, again, just at, at, at the Drinks Drop. So it's everything, everything we need is there. We've got a new menu coming out in uh, about um, 10 days' time, which is really exciting. So... 20 new drinks, 20 new bars. Um, so we're looking forward to getting those going. We just do. We've had a terrible, terrible challenge of doing all the drinks development over the last uh, 10 days. So that's one of the tough parts, having to do uh, making sure we've got those drinks balanced right. But um, Nick, who heads up all our production, he's been doing an amazing job. So we're really excited about that. We're going to start uh, shooting all shooting all the drinks and doing all the getting all the photos and everything loaded up. Um, this, uh, this week or so so yeah keep an eye out for the new cocktails we've got some new specials coming up over the summer as well so how many cocktails are there on to- in total there's a lot isn't there yeah so we have we, it's there's going to be a few extras this time so we've got we've got around 20 which is which is up there now so 20 different around 20 different bars maybe 21 uh we're going to keep back the three most popular from the range as well from the last menu should i say um, and then we've just finished. We've just finished doing a, um, an activation with with, um, with a tequila brand. So we did a month long mar- uh, margarita month, and we've kept the top six selling of the thirty margaritas that we had on the platform. Uh, we've kept the top, we keep the top six running for um, for a bit longer as well. So yeah, you're looking on average around yeah, you're looking twenty twenty five cocktails normally on there. And then we do then we do the little special boxes as well. We do something for Mother's Day. We'll have something for Easter. We've got something coming up around Wimbledon with a partner as well. So, yeah, we like to keep things, just keep things fresh around those little, something for Father's Day, hopefully, as well. Um, all right, guys. Well, look, it's been fun. Um, and uh, great to connect with you, Pasan, from so far away and in a completely different time zone. Appreciate you taking the time. And Fabrice, um, we'll hopefully be getting a drink in a bar together soon. Thanks for listening to the Diageo Bar Academy Bar Chat Podcast. Follow and subscribe now for more episodes and to rate this podcast. You can also dive into previous episodes featuring conversations between myself and industry experts covering a whole range of interesting topics. See you later, everyone. Bye.